So please turn open to Revelation chapter 6. We are jumping into the deep end in chapter 6. We have looked at uh, Jesus' messages to the churches. We've looked at him seated on the throne with the Father in Revelation 4 and 5. And now he is the worthy one to open the seals. And he opens these seals. And he shows with these seals that his kingdom is coming. It is coming. Let's hear what God's word says to us this morning. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and out of And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little, a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig, the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves. I'm sorry, I skipped something. Go back to verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Holy Spirit, give us your illumination so we might see Jesus' kingdom coming. Amen. You know, there's a big question in our relationship with God, and it's usually why. But the second question follows closely. It's when. When, Lord. And we see in the Psalms what the the prayer of the the faithful who are under the altar, how long? And we we hear that prayer over and over and over again in the Psalms. We want to know how long until Jesus returns, when heaven will be realized, when suffering will end, when the battle with sin will finally cease. When we'll receive new bodies, when, we, when we'll just see him. 
the disciples around Jesus had the same question for him in his earthly ministry. They wanted to know when his kingdom would be established. All right, when, when's this going to take place, Jesus? These seals, and we get to the seventh seal, not until chapter 8. And the seventh seal then opens up seven trumpets. So it's an unfolding, it's a, it's a cascading effect of Jesus' kingdom advancing on the earth. The seals that Jesus will move are the, the unfolding occurrences of his kingdom advancing and the opposition to that kingdom advancing. You know, one of the mysteries of God's will is how the church is not removed from the consequences of the opposition to Jesus' kingdom advancing. If it were up to us, we'd remove all suffering, right? We'd remove all of it. God, it would be great. It, it, you'd get a lot more people to follow you if you just remove all the suffering. And then but gee, God wants, he's got a plan, and his plan has dual purposes. He is judging with these seals. He's judging unbelievers. But he's also vindicating believers. He's pointing to their faith, saying, this is true, and they trust me. Uh, chapter 6, all the way through 16, contain the unfolding of judgment and vindication. Judgment on unbelievers, vindication for believers. God is he's actually prejudging the ultimate judgment. Just like we as believers get the, the spilling over of heaven and the foretaste of heaven and the blessing and the healing and the peace. God is also, he's, he's giving bits of his judgment as well. So people wake up and realize, wait a minute, maybe I should repent. Maybe God is right. He's working his plan. And he's advancing his kingdom by shining a light on how his people endure suffering because we have the hope of eternity as we suffer. The strange thing to us is how God vindicates his people amid the chaos of the world. See, he broadcasts his glory through vindicating the faith of believers. Our faith advances God's kingdom. Therefore, our faith comes under attack by Satan himself through his tactics of persecution. He attacks faith. Deception. Let's get everybody to believe the wrong thing. And seduction. Let's have them believe in something that's going to end on this earth. A temporal belief, not an eternal belief. Let's, let's live for the immediate. Let's live for immediate gratification rather than storing up our treasure in heaven. See, this chapter gives us really a, 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 a coloring sheet, <laughs> a picture of what Jesus described to his disciples in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. The Olivet, he's on the Mount of Olives right before he's taken uh, into custody to then be crucified. He's giving, here's the coming, here's the signs of the end of the age. Now, for us, this is our, our big moment here. God sits enthroned over the unsealing of his will so believers can endure with faith. When we read this, our response as believers is not to be scared. Sometimes we're confused. But it's ultimately not to be scared. It's to be encouraged that Jesus' kingdom is advancing. But what we have here are cries. Cries from creation. Cries from the faithful. And cries from the condemned. 
when this resistance is going on. The, we, we see with the first four seals that are broken, there's a living creature, one of the four living creatures that's around God's throne, comes, comes up with a thundering voice and says, come. I mean, you look in, well, it, it seems like they're calling for the horses and the riders to come. They could be doing that. But maybe they're also calling to Jesus, come. When Jesus breaks that seal, he's the one executing the plan. Maybe the, the living creatures are looking at him saying, come, execute the plan. Do what you are wanting to do and fulfilling the will of God. And isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is a picture of what Jesus is telling all of his disciples. Pray, your kingdom come. So these living creatures, representing all of animate, alive creation, are saying to Jesus, come, kingdom come. And the response to that, with these first four, is resistance. We see that in the first eight verses. But we have seal number one, a white horse. Now, it can seem like Jesus is on that white horse because in chapter 19, he's going to be riding on a white horse. But I think this is, these seals represent judgment. I think this is a false Jesus. This is a false Messiah representing the deception that, that Satan uses to deceive unbelievers and believers alike. But look, he wears a crown like Jesus. And it was given to him. But he's not Jesus. He holds a sword. But Jesus is the lamb as he's standing as was slain. He deceives with the promise of power and military deliverance. He's coming to conquer. Conquering and to conquer. Isn't that our deception on this earth? Everybody's deception is this. We we look for temporal things to conquer our fears and insecurities. We look around us for peace rather than looking to God for peace. So we look for the power and the conquering that, that's in money. The security that comes from a big bank account. Or we look to our appearance. Appearance. We look to our appearance to soothe the ache of our insecurities. I just need to look better. I need to take care of this. I need to feel better. Or success. We look to the power that success brings. We look to the right political policies. Or the right political parties. As the ultimate answer for everything. Look, side note. Uh, the, the draft of the Supreme Court decision that was leaked. I think it was, an, personally, I think it was an intentional leak. By the justices. Now, I don't know who, I think, I think they wanted to test the culture to see what would happen. I'm really grateful for that decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm really grateful. That's a lot of prayer being answered. But church, listen to this. That's the start of it. That's not the end of it. Because then the church needs to step up. In our state, we have trigger law already back from, I think, 2015 or 14 that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, there's a trigger law that bans abortion in the state of, the state of Louisiana. Praise God. But listen, the church needs to step up and find those moms who want an abortion because now they'll go run and hide. They'll go run and hide. And the church needs to be ready. The church needs to be loving. The church needs to be caring. 
The church needs to know others who are battling with life so we can be that means of mercy for them. So it it purifies and enhances our commission as the church, right? We're grateful for policies that protect our freedom of worship. We're grateful for those. But we don't hang our hat on them as the ultimate. We just need to get the right people in place to get the right policies in order to make life better. That's a fraction of the overall plan that God has for the church. It's where we think power comes from to release us and free us from our securities, our fears and insecurities. We look for the power in relational control over others. We can, we, we see people, we know people that are falling for the deception of this false Messiah on a white horse. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Then the seal too is broken. It's a red horse bringing war and bloodshed, reigning with fear as peace is removed. He's given permission to remove peace. We live with terror in the world and threats are all the time. Threats are used as a weapon just this week. Well, we're living through Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, right? But just this week, Russia threatened Finland and said, we're going to cut off your electricity if you join NATO. That's a big threat. Already telling Europe, hey, you don't want our oil? It's going to be hard life for you. There are physical wars. There are emotional wars. There are, are mental wars of ideas. And there are spiritual wars being waged constantly. We are not surprised. Seal three is then broken. A black horse comes with a, riding ho- a rider holding scales. These are the measuring scales. Think of the thing with the balance. This is talking about, when, and, and the reference here is a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. So they're, buy, they're spending an entire day's wage on a loaf of bread. That's severe inflation. Ring a bell? It's a lot of talk about inflation in our country today, right? You know where they got their grain from? Where Rome got their grain from? Ukraine. Now, this is not like spooky. Whoa! Jesus is really coming back. He is. He's really coming back. Now, our point, our, our response... We are to live, Jesus said this, live awake, live ready. You know what ready means? Tell people about Jesus all the time. That's living ready. That's the oil in the lamps. I got my oil. What's that oil? It's the spirit shining our lights so we can be that light. Seal four is a pale horse, ashen. Think, think a, 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 an ill green color of this horse with death it's the color of death death is holding the reins and satan now is using we're told hades it's satan he's using these three other horsemen to do his bidding and his destruction and he's adding sickness and disease pestilence he's adding this wild beast torture but with pestilence covid anyone no matter what we think about it That's end time stuff. It is. And and I understand through the COVID experience, everybody was very heightened to say, what does Revelation say? 
yeah, that, that's good. But what's our response? When we read Revelation, we get, we're comforted. Yep, we expect disease to come. We expect the overreach of power to remove peace. We expect that because Jesus is coming. Jesus is on his way. Satan uses persecution to strike fear in the effort to destroy. He wants to destroy Jesus' kingdom. Now, what we, we, a lot of commentators would say, and I agree, that these first four seals, they're happening in a, in a concurrence. They're happening at the same time. Think of like four spokes on a wheel rolling through history. They're happening now all at the same time. The, these, the, they happen in an ongoing way, I think, in every generation. And every generation feels what these four, first four seals bring. I'll let you read Matthew 24. But Jesus is, let's see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. They will lead many astray. You will hear of ru- wars, rumors of war. Don't be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. Why? Because... The gospel's going forward, and the gospel needs to save more people. But we also look at there are clues that encourage us when we're thinking of Satan's activity, resisting Jesus' kingdom advancement. He has limited power. He doesn't have all the power. First, the first rider was given a crown. The second rider was permitted to take peace. We can presume that the third rider was given the scales to hold, and this fourth rider, death, was given authority over a fourth of the earth. There's a limited power. But here's where our our brain begins to skid. God is in control over all of these events. All the events on the world stage. God is in control. He uh, he He is working his plan with all the events on the world stage. From way back and way into tomorrow. Our brain begins to skid because we're confused at how God works his will by allowing demonic forces to have authority and effect. That confuses me. Tim Keller has always been a help for me uh, in thinking through the aspects of God that we just don't understand. Uh, My wife sent me a, a screenshot of a prayer in, in the book, Prayers of an Excellent Wife, and the, this quote was on the bottom. Pastor Tim says this, In the Bible, we discover a real and complex God. If you have a personal relationship with any person, you will, be re- you will regularly be confused and infuriated by him or her. So, too, you will be regularly confounded by the God you meet in the Scriptures, as well as amazed and comforted. One time Tim Keller tweeted, uh, it's good to have a God that we disagree with because it lets us know he's not a figment of our imagination. We don't make him up. Because if, if we make him up, we agree on everything. But if we, if we have hard things in the scriptures and we say, hmm, God, really? We know he's not, he's not just a figment of our imagination. He really is there. As believers, we can be comforted even though we are often confused at how God uses things, things that he hates and how they play a part in accomplishing his will. We should be comforted that God, listen, God has Satan on a leash. And he takes him on a little walk periodically. 
And he barks. And he snarls. But he's never off the leash. And God can yank him back in a moment. He does. See, even though these seals are coming as wave after wave in every generation, we see that as Jesus' kingdom advances, there is resistance to his kingdom's salvation and blessing. See, Satan wants to convince everybody there's no salvation, there's no blessing with God. But his kingdom is coming, his kingdom is advancing. So every rumor of war, every talk of inflation, we do not fear because we know this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and the cries of the faithful help us calm. Verses 9 through 11, with this fifth seal, we have the cries of the faithful. Attention shifts from what what is happening on the earth with the first four seals to what's occurring in heaven. First, we hear that they are under the altar. That's a peculiar place to be. Uh, When the altar was in front of the temple, uh, what was under the altar was blood. That's where it pooled and collected, and there was a stream, a a drain that brought it out to the brook Kidron. Blood was under the altar that was situated, and this was the collection of the martyrs that had died for the faith. Even the, the word witness that we have comes from the Greek word martyria, martyr. So martyr, witness, same thing, same concept. And they cry out to him, Sovereign Lord, How long? This is a good prayer for us. It's okay to pray it. It's okay to pray it. Because we have to listen to to God's answer. A lot of times I think we talk ourselves out of prayers because, well, I shouldn't be thinking that. I should be different. No, say it to him so he can comfort with his power and his presence, not not trying to figure out. It's it's just a self-fortitude thing. We're going into our own self-sufficiency. When we try to fix ourselves, well, I shouldn't be praying this. I know about God. No, put it on him. God, how long? How long? Because the comfort that I'm trying to get in my own life, it's not there. God, I need your comfort. These are the the faithful martyrs. Listen to what they're asking. They're asking for justice for their wrongful deaths. How long before... How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Wow, what a prayer. But listen, they're not asking for revenge. They're asking for vindication. They're asking for justice to be done on the wrong because they were the victims. They were the the innocent ones in that that, uh, relationship. The faithful who have gone before us are crying for Jesus' kingdom to finally come, that they may ultimately, that that it may end the, the suffering that's on the earth. They're asking God, how long will you allow martyrs to continue being killed? And he pray, they, pray, they prayed out of their trust in God, sovereign Lord. But the way that God answers them is so comforting, and we have to look at it. He's giving them white robes. The justice that they asked for was not going to give them peace and security. The justice of their faith in Christ and Christ's righteousness represented in that white robe, that's what comforts, that's what gives peace. So look, in our relationships, when there's breakdown, a lot of times we're asking the Lord for vindication, we're asking the Lord for judgment on somebody else, and God comes to us and says, if I give you that type of justice, it will never satisfy and calm you. You have to remember your justification. 
You're clothed with a white robe. That's what brings the peace we long for. That's what brings the security we desire. Not, not God, just get them. God says, even if I do, that won't satisfy what you're asking. Trust his justification, our faith in him. Now, he tells, also tells them to rest a little longer. And, and when I first read this, I'm asking God the question. It seems like he's just trying to comfort scared children in the middle of the night. And now, now, there, it's okay. Just here, here's your blankie. Go sit down a little longer. Yeah, a little longer. That's not what's happening. You're right, Well, It's not happening. Their rest is God's rest as they patiently waited for his plan to be fulfilled. So God is saying this, wait a little longer, not by looking down the road to see when the end is, but by looking at me, take my rest upon you. Is that what Jesus said? Come all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And now this, this is not intended like, hey, a little while longer. It's not intended for bad news because what he's telling them is that there aren't enough martyrs that have died yet. The end hasn't come because people haven't, not enough people have died for the faith yet. That's strong and it, it feels harsh. And it feels, God, what, what does this mean? But it's not intended to be bad news for the people of God, the faithful who are under that altar. Think about this way. Think about uh, a, a player, a, foot, a football player in the Super Bowl that it's a struggle in the first half. Maybe he tweaks his knee. Something's going on. During halftime, gets a cortisone, a cortisone shot in the knee, able to go out and play the second half. That's what these images in Revelation are helping us do. They're giving us a joke. Jesus is coming. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's endure. Let's keep going. Because there's more that are going to be saved. There's more that are going to die. But there's more that's going to be saved. We see that in chapter 7. Now, we also have God's timing in this. The faithful are told that more need to be martyred for Jesus' kingdom to be finalized on the earth. You know, in God's wisdom and power, he grows his kingdom through the persecution of the faithful and their deaths. Now, persecution has the effect of purifying the church. You, you go into foreign countries, especially closed countries. You know, you go to North Africa and you tell people about Jesus. It's really a life change for them to accept him and follow him, right? It's a life change. In some countries of the world, including North Africa, where our dear friends are serving, if they convert publicly, they are disowned by their families. And that's, that's the nice response from the families. Because as we heard a little while ago, it's perfectly okay to kill that family member for abandoning Islam. It's real. Asian countries, it's real. Country of India, where Hinduism abounds, it is real. It's just, it's the schizophrenia of, we're into all these gods in Hinduism. There's just... Thousands upon thousands of gods can't love Jesus, though. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Can't do that in our country. Oh, yeah. Talk about God all you want. You bring up Jesus. No, 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 no. There's no Jesus around here because they feel it. They feel 
what the sixth seal represents. They feel the condemnation and they'd rather have rocks fall on their heads than bow their knee to Jesus. Time in heaven is set on a different clock than what we have. We just have to be understanding and at peace with it. God's patience is also alongside of his urgency to see Jesus glorified on the earth. God is urgent. The kingdom is going forward and the commission is there. But he's patient, wanting all that he's chosen to come to him. There is a full number of martyrs before the end comes. And then in the, sea, the sixth seal, we hear the cry of the condemned. Now, now, what's happening first is cosmic signs of final judgment are all over the place. The calamity the four horsemen bring on the earth is just a foreshadowing of, the, of what the final judgment will entail. And God is merciful, church. He's merciful to prejudge before his ultimate judgment ends the clock on salvation. Before it's pencils down, turn in your work. He's patient. He wants more of his people to come to him. We see the earth, sun, moon, stars. They go to pieces. Everything goes to chaos. Jesus, in this moment, will cease holding it all together like Hebrews 1.3 tells us. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Jesus will one day say, I'm not holding it together. Let's see what happens. Chaos. Sky. Mountains crumble. Islands disappear. Here is a direct reference to Isaiah 34, verse 4. All the host of heaven will sh- uh, shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fail as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. What he's also doing with the sky and the mountains and earth, moon, sun, he's removing idolatry from everything. He's, remember Romans chapter 1, we have, verse 25, we've, we've swapped the glory of God for the created thing. We look at the created thing and see there's glory in that, that God doesn't have, and we exchange it, and that's the basis of every sin. And God removes it all. He removes all idolatry and the dissolution of creation. But then look, kings, powerful ones, slaves, look, Rank in life doesn't save them right here. They're all under the same condemnation. All that is falling apart strips down what men and women, powerful and powerless, trust in on this earth. It strips it all away. And when they're face to face with God, they'd rather have rocks fall on them than endure what they're seeing in that face. Sadly, this doesn't mean repentance. They're calling on rocks rather than repentance. They're calling on rocks to fall on them rather than going to Jesus for salvation. That's why God uses in his wisdom, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways, but he uses the purification. And, and look, in our country, this is the thought I was going to complete, <laughs> I should have completed earlier, uh, persecution will rise in this country. And it, I believe it will resemble what the, uh, the rest of the earth experiences. It will rise. I have, I have yearnings and concerns for my grandchildren's generation because it will rise. And sadly, church history tells us that it doesn't rise from the seculars. It rises from the church, people who call themselves Christians. That's where persecution starts, and everybody else gets in on it. And when we have 
generation after generation of confusion when it comes to the gospel. That's ripe atmosphere to persecute because we have the wrong doctrine. Everything will fall apart. No human strength or intelligence can stop God's final judgment. And we are the ones. We are the ones who demonstrate this from Luke 20, verse 18. Everyone, Jesus says, everyone who falls on that stone, that's the cornerstone himself, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. See what the condemned are asking for the rocks? They're getting a rock. It's Jesus, the, the, the wrath of the lamb. They recognize it comes from him. But we are the ones that have come to him and we have fallen on this stone and we have been broken to pieces. So the lost can see the face of God in us and be intrigued by it, not scared off. That's why our love and our mercy toward unbelievers is so crucial. This is why believers suffer and they are to suffer well in the light of salvation, because there is an urgency to this coming kingdom. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And, and, and nations here, ethnicity, not borders, to all people, because God is collecting them. He's saving them and he's collecting them. So here, this is how we finish. This is what this means for us. Church, we need to learn to suffer well and stop being such ninnies about our lives. Suffer well. Yeah, things are hard. They are. And there might be times we have to remind ourselves. But you know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, the line has been sticking with me all week. Though the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, it's well with my soul because of Jesus, because of his salvation and our trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for pictures that help us understand your glory because it's really hard for us to understand your glory. And God, we, we ask, We ask, God, that you would set an urgency in our hearts for gospel proclamation and understand that it may involve and usually does involve suffering in our lives. It involves sometimes a crisis that you want to bring us through and prove your presence with us in in order for us to shine as a light on the other side. God, we want to be okay with that. We want to listen well. We want to learn well so we don't have to repeat mistakes and lessons. But, Father... We want to love you with everything we are, even in our suffering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be reminded of this, church, as, a, as a, uh, a response to what we see in Jesus. It is his great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded.